I'm Bonnie Lin, Director of the China Power Project and Senior Fellow for Asian Security at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. In today's episode of the China Power Podcast, we will explore the Chinese government's tightening control over the technology sector. In recent months, Beijing has been tightening its regulatory hold over the private sector, particularly among Chinese technology companies. China's political elites have recognized the growing power among China's largest technology companies. The positive benefits they provide to its economic growth are unmistakable. But recent events have demonstrated that there is a limit to how much power private companies can amass. While some may have previously considered the biggest firms such as Alibaba to have enough political sway to avoid scrutiny to a degree, Beijing has issued stark reminders that private companies are not above the rule of the government and the party. China's technology sector crackdown has materialized most recently in the high-profile case of the ride-hailing platform Didi Chuxing. Soon after officially listing on the New York Stock Exchange, Chinese regulators moved quickly to rein in the company. Within a matter of days, Beijing restricted new users from signing up with Didi and removed it from China's app stores while regulators conduct a review to address cybersecurity concerns. At the center of the crackdown is the Cyberspace Administration of China, or CAC, China's central cyber watchdog. The CAC was established to address Beijing's concerns that it needed to exercise greater control over the regulation of cybersecurity. President Xi Jinping has prioritized cybersecurity and digital governance as a matter of national security, and the CAC has risen to the forefront of China's regulatory control over the digital domain. The Chinese government faces a difficult challenge in tightening its grip on the Chinese technology sector abroad. On one hand, Beijing has a strong political incentive to restrict private companies from growing out of control. On the other hand, many of these firms are at the forefront of internationalization of China's economy, and tightening control may lead to adverse impacts on China's economic growth. Here to discuss the issue of China's political control over the technology sector is Adam Siegel. Adam is the IRA Litman Chair in Emerging Technologies and National Security, and Director of the Digital and Cyberspace Policy Program at the Council on Foreign Relations. Adam is a widely cited expert on Chinese security issues, technology development, and Chinese domestic and foreign policy, and he has written extensively on the geopolitics of cyberspace. Adam. Thanks so much for joining us today.、Uh, my pleasure to be here. So, Adam, I wanted to talk about some an issue that's been very much in the press and the news these days. This is in terms of what China is doing with respect to its tech sector. To start, could you provide us with a background of Beijing's aspirations for its governance of its tech sector in cyberspace? What are behind the motivations behind its recent crackdown on its tech sector? I think when we look at China's policies towards both the tech sector and kind of the digital space more broadly, there are some clear economic and national security concerns. On the economic side, China for a long time has been uncomfortable with being factory to the world and wants to move up from made in China to innovated in China, and so wants to be able to. Control and produce the next generation of emerging technologies, and that、uh, urgency in that in that project has really was heightened with tech conflict with the Trump administration, 
uh, and the use of uh, entity lists and sanctions against Chinese tech firms, which really uh, highlighted the, de the dependence on foreign technology and American technology, semiconductor technology in particular. There are worries about kind of the flow of information inside of China and uh, what that means for regime legitimacy and domestic stability. There's worries about cybersecurity itself. So are Chinese networks vulnerable to attack from uh, other nation states? And then there's a desire to kind of shape the global governance of these technologies and, and, and how they're used. So all, all of these come together kind of uh, in, in this space. Thank you, Adam. Could you talk a little bit about the concern that you flagged in terms of what China had about control over the information? And you mentioned the impact on the regime legitimacy. What, what exactly is the specific concern from China's end? Yeah, I mean, from the very beginning, the, the Chinese kind of flagged the internet as a dual-edged sword, one that would be important for economic growth and good governance, so that the Chinese leadership would know what the Chinese people are thinking, but also very worried about what type of information would come in from the outside and how uh, activists, dissidents, and others would use the uh, internet for social organization and, and possibly for protests. The most famous symbol of this is of course, is the Great Firewall of China, which keeps information out, generally filtering technologies. But also we know that the technology companies themselves are responsible for the material that shows up. And so they hire uh, tens of thousands of uh, sensors to take things down quickly. And we also know that the local governments and, and others hire trolls and the 50 cent army to kind of flood uh, information space with positive stories about the communist party and, and others. And so there's been a, a lot of focus on that. And now increasingly the party and the na uh, party state are concerned about vulnerabilities that come from collecting big data that could be used, you know, either for espionage purposes or to gather information about Chinese citizens or other uh, exploits. And, and a lot of that data is sitting in the technology companies. And so the government either wants to ensure that it's protected or in some cases has access to it um, for its own economic or national security reasons. It seems like what you're saying, uh, quite a bit of the concern recently with respect to the crackdown on tech companies is how these companies may be able to amass huge amounts of data and how potentially this data could be used against the CCP, potentially provided to foreign governments. Is that one angle? That is, and that's you know what we think is behind happened to, to Didi, the ride-sharing app at the end of August, which when... You know, after Didi had its massive IPO, um, then it was basically the app was blocked on uh, Chinese phones and the Cyberspace Administration of China, the CAC, announced a investigation of the company or cybersecurity concerns. Wall Street Journal reported that um, officials from several ministries were then basically kind of positioned inside of Didi while the investigation was, was happening. Uh, and that seems to be kind of a concern that, you know, Didi has huge amounts of mapping data, which of course is, can be sensitive for, for lots of reasons. It has data on, you know, where people go and what time they go to places and where they are. In fact, Didi, I think, had uh, cooperated with Xinhua several years ago on a news story that basically kind of tracked uh, officials coming from different ministries and kind of a, a lighthearted story about, you know, who worked the hardest and who did the most overtime. But that type of information, you know, could be very important for an intelligence agency looking for 
tracking certain officials or, you know, if everybody starts showing up at the foreign ministry at 2 a.m. in the morning, that probably means that there's some crisis going on. So those are the types of uh, issues that they would be concerned about. I guess from your perspective, do you see these Chinese concerns as warranted in terms of would this even be part of the information that Didi would be sharing as part of his IPO? Or are these just general concerns that China has in terms of if Didi was to be more transparent, that this type of information or portions of this type of information might become more available to, for example, the United States or external governments? Yeah, it's it's definitely being uh, motivated in part by the demands from the uh, SEC and other U.S. regulators for more transparency from Chinese firms uh, when they uh, list on U.S. exchanges. It doesn't seem particularly warranted. I don't think the type of information that's being handed over in those regulatory investigations is particularly sensitive from a national security perspective. But clearly the data itself is is sensitive and, and then there are concerns about it. And you know, there may be other reasons as well that regulators are going after the companies, not just the listing. There may have been, you know, other cybersecurity violations that they are kind of have balled into this one large investigation. But we are definitely, you know, entering a stage where I think governments across the globe are, you know, realizing that these platforms have huge amounts of data on their citizens and realizing that they're not exactly sure where the data is stored or who has access to it. And they're kind of scrambling to to catch up and ensure that they have visibility into that. So in terms of uh, stepping back and looking at the broader picture, how would you broadly characterize the major steps that Chinese government has taken to rein in Chinese technology companies? Could you talk about some of what you see as either the major laws or major regulations or measures that China has introduced? And are there specific sectors that have been particularly hard hit by the crackdown in terms of China's overall broad technology sector? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's lots of different things happening at once. There, there's at least, you know, kind of five separate goals I think the party is uh, is pursuing here. And so the regulations and the objectives and the, and the outcomes kind of fall in those categories. I, the first, which is what started a lot of this, was the focus on uh, antitrust and competitive behavior. So a, a worry about the size of the tech companies and some of the practices that they were using, like pick one, not two. So basically, you know, if you were using one platform, you could you couldn't link to another platform or you couldn't, you know, use an app inside of um, the platform you were already in. So that, you know, has basically been pursued through antitrust regulation, which has, you know, been on the books for a while, since at least 2008, if I remember correctly, um, but that Chinese had not been using very much. And so, you know, we see Alibaba and Tencent, for example, fine purchasing, acquiring some other companies. And we're seeing some discussion about finding them for these for these types of behavior. There's a kind of a ideological or kind of a political discussion about, you know, for a while it was the excesses of capitalism. And now we're hearing about uh, common prosperity. And some of this, uh, I think, is, again, focused on kind of social issues and growing inequality. So this uh, had to do with the regulation of online education companies and the shift from, you know, for them from profit to nonprofit companies. You know, this is clearly addressing the 
the worries of uh, urban and middle class Chinese who are afraid that you know um, education is becoming more expensive and less uh, egalitarian, and social mobility is harder, and so the party clearly wants to address uh, that. But also uh, regulation of like uh, Meituan and other kind of gig platforms, uh, so that workers have some more. Uh, autonomy and, and say in um, kind of what they're paid and, and how they spend their time. There is a, um, I think, a focus on the types of innovation that the tech companies are involved in. So a worry that they're too focused on kind of consumer-faced uh, technologies, uh, internet technologies, and not doing enough in hardware and, and helping China move uh, into um, you know these more competitive areas where they're more susceptible to sanctions from the United States. Uh, so again, some of this has been antitrust and competition law. Um, some of it is through desires for access to data and asking companies for data. Fourth is one we were talking about before, which is the kind of cybersecurity concerns of DD and Full Truck, Full Truck Alliance and others and, and worries about where that data is and who has access to it. And then fifth and Finally, more broadly, is just a concern about uh, emerging centers of power and, you know, do those threaten the party? And, you know, a lot of this, I think, has been kind of through public shaming and op-eds and discussions in the press, but also just, you know, lots of the ministries, the Cyberspace Administration of China and State Administration for Market Regulation, China Security Regulatory Committee, all of them being involved in in kind of regulatory uh, aspects here. I'd like to follow up a little bit on your, I guess, uh, third factor and your fifth factor. So you mentioned that uh, China has been quite focused on trying to shape the types of innovation. And you mentioned a way for more consumer-focused products. Could you talk a little bit more about the products that China wants its tech companies to focus on? You mentioned uh, more on hardware and other components, but is there a specific a company that China has targeted that is a good example of the types of innovation that China is trying to shift a, a company away from and towards? I mean, a lot of it has to do about the chip industry right now because of mm-hmm. the sanctions that were placed on ZTE and Huawei under the Trump administration. And so the you know those sanctions uh, essentially cut off Huawei from TSMC, the Taiwanese supplier, and really heightened the sense of dependence uh, on these advanced chip technologies. So there was a discussion in the Chinese press maybe six months or a year ago that talked about you know, the, the companies are, are too focused on you know the price of cabbages online and, and um, kind of that kind of shopping experiences and not enough on these space. Now, Alibaba and Tencent and have announced that they're going to kind of design and support their own AI chips, artificial intelligence chips, and are putting significant resources behind it. But I think, you know, there's a question about are they moving fast enough uh, into those spaces? But essentially, the, you know, the Companies that have been targeted are the are the big ones that are you know uh, Alibaba, Tencent in particular, you know, needing to do more for for Chinese uh, innovation. It's pretty interesting that Chinese government was picking up that companies were focused on the price of cabbages. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of um, kind of sense that you know that that, that type of innovation was fine. Uh, and it's time to move on to something, you know, more important. But cabbage one like, was in a specific uh, op-ed, if I remember correctly. In terms of your fifth point, uh, you mentioned that from Beijing's perspective, there is an interest in countering emerging centers of power that might threaten the CCP. Is this more of companies just growing too large, or is this in terms of uh, certain leaders at different 
companies just acquiring too much popularity that they might have enough power or sway to put pressure on Chinese leaders or a specific example of this that you could uh, discuss? Yeah, I mean, the, of course, the most widely known example was Jack Ma. And so a lot of this seems to have been kind of kicked off by the speech that Jack Ma gave last year, you know, right before Alipay uh, had its IPO, where he criticized financial regulators for you know, kind of being backward thinking and not allowing enough innovation in fintech and financial technologies. And so that you know, that speech, according to reporting from the journal and other places, not only angered the regulators, but angered Xi Jinping. And you know, Jack Ma is was a very flamboyant personality who, you know, people uh, look to and listen to his speeches. And so, you know, in that case, there did seem to be a, kind of an individual who was growing perhaps to have a set of influences. I mean, Alibaba also owns, you know, some social media outlet, outlets and South China Morning Post. And so also has a, a perhaps a, an ability to um, express uh, different points of views. I think more broadly, though, it was just a sense that the companies were kind of not really listening to the guidelines and the guidance of the party about how they thought the economy should be ordered and who it should be serving. And I think that that fits with the kind of broader set of moves that we see under Xi about both increasing the kind of guiding principles of the party and the power of the party, but also the expectations that society itself and other organizations align their interests with the party's interests. And so while Jack Ma, I think, is you know a very specific individual and a high profile case, I think it's more broadly the sense that everyone has to align behind the direction of the party under Xi. And I think what, exactly what you said in terms of not only align with the party, but uh, but behind Xi, because the other thing with Jack Ma is when you're looking at what Jack Ma and Alibaba has done internationally for China in terms of all the donations for COVID aid internationally, I don't, I'm not sure that necessarily won Jack Ma more favors with uh, Xi at home, because in some countries, at least, there's appeared to be quite a bit of gratitude towards Jack Ma Alibaba, not necessarily Beijing. Certainly during COVID, it was probably hard for the receivers to distinguish between who it, who it came from. But clearly we're seeing now, you know, you know, one of the few instances where we've seen Jack Ma visibly since the PO was knocked down was him giving a speech to rural teachers and addressing rural inequality and growth, which is you know, one of Xi Jinping's priorities. And we've seen in the last few weeks of August, Tencent and Alibaba and some of the other companies announcing, you know, new philanthropic endeavors of tens of hundreds of billions of dollars of, of renminbi, you know, basically donating to party party priorities. Thank you. I did want to follow up a little bit to ask, because you mentioned the importance of following party priorities, but also um, supporting general party uh, direction as well as um, supporting what uh, President Xi wants. So could you talk a little bit about how the government regulates Chinese companies? What is the, uh, what are the political entities responsible for regulating China's digital space? Could you talk a bit about the Cyberspace Administration of China and where do they fit within the overall system of government oversight and what's their relationship with these companies? It depends again on the on the issue, right? So for the anti-regulatory issues, right, the state administration for for market regulation, the SAMR will play the the leading role. But on the 
on a lot of these digital issues about content and cybersecurity, it's the Cyberspace Administration of China, which is a relatively uh, new organization that was founded in the first few years of Xi's taking the party chairmanship and the, and the presidency. And it has responsibilities under the National Cybersecurity Law of 2017 and the Data Protection Law, which, uh, and the Personal Information Protection Law, which are both came on online this year or coming on uh, very soon. And so it is responsible for ensuring that the companies both have the cybersecurity and they're handling user data according to the regulations, which is users have a right to being forgotten. They have a right to ask for certain data to be deleted. Supposedly data is only supposed to be used for certain purposes. So the, the CAC the Cyberspace Administration of China is supposed to enforce all, all of those. Now, it, it's a new organization, so it, it is you know, fighting for regulatory control with organizations that were already uh, in this space, in particular, the Ministry of Industry and, uh, and IT, but also the you know, Ministry of Public Security and the Ministry of State Security. And we saw with Didi that the Ministry of Transport and the Ministry of Natural Resources are also involved. So I would say, you know, part of what's happening in this space, I think, is being driven by kind of bureaucratic infighting and agencies and commissions and others kind of trying to demonstrate that they are both relevant and that the power should be theirs. So I think right now, now in this space, you know, the, the CAC is trying to set down some red lines for the other agencies and saying this, you know, this clearly is our responsibility and we are going to be the ones who administer it. Now, the relationship with the tech companies seems to be kind of a mixture of an informal and formal, both through kind of the process of asking for input into regulations and the companies uh, serving on a number of advisory committees about the regulatory agencies, plus, you know, people getting invited to come over for conversations. And in some instances, having, you know, the regulators come to the offices or, or sit there for a while as they uh, investigate the issue. So Adam, you mentioned the uh, bureaucratic infighting and the involvement of various different Chinese actors. Do you see these different Chinese government actors as having different goals that might sort of drive technology companies in a different direction? Or is the bureaucratic infighting more of each uh, bureaucratic actor trying to maintain or increase its control? Not so much that these different actors have different goals. Yeah, I, I think it's probably more the latter. I, right now, it's hard to distinguish separate goals or different goals about what they think the tech companies should do. It, it, it mostly seems to be kind of grounded in a desire to keep control or be the leading agency. But I suspect that there are kind of differing visions. It, it is hard to see how they've been expressed so far. You mentioned also there are new laws coming online. So when we look sort of out in the future, is what we're currently seeing in China a new chapter in China's approach? Do you see this approach being continued? And if so, what do you sort of see as China's next steps? If you're trying to project, say, five or 10 years down the road, what kind of tech landscape would you expect to see in China? And would that differ from necessarily what Beijing wants? Yeah, I think, I mean, we're definitely at an inflection point. I mean, you know, our, our understanding of kind of why the tech platforms grew and innovated in the first place was because that, you know, they essentially grew in a space that was unregulated by the government because the government didn't really understand what the internet was and didn't really have a vision of how it was going to grow. And there were no state-owned enterprise incumbents to kind of battle. 
And so you had you know, a decade, a decade and a half of pretty you know, unregulated, untrammeled growth by the tech firms. And that is clearly coming to an end. I don't think there's any, any doubt about that, that, that the sector is going to now be high, highly regulated and, and highly supervised. I think it's going to continue uh, and move into different sectors and different technologies. Probably the, you know, the most interesting thing that happened in the last few days of August was the CAC, the Cyberspace Administration of China, basically released a call for proposal and its guidelines for the regulation of algorithms. So the, you know, the code that's used either suggests content to users of social media platforms or decide prices for people. And it's, you know, very far reaching about what it wants to do for algorithms. So that's going to be the next immediate thing that's going to happen. We're probably going to see, you know, healthcare and healthcare data addressed. So there's, you know, certainly other sectors on the agenda and other types of technology uh, on the agenda. You know, where it, I think the outcome and where it all ends up is, you know, it's, it's a very good question. I don't think it, we, we have the answer to. I think the assumption, at least outside of China, and, uh, you know, I think this is based on our experience with Silicon Valley and our assumptions about how innovation works, is, is that, you know, this is going to cost China kind of long-term economically and kind of innovation capabilities that the sector is likely to become less efficient as people are worried about, you know, the political risk of either you know, becoming too rich or developing the wrong type of technologies. And, and so you'll start seeing people kind of shying away from this uh, kind of the internet platforms and other types of innovation. I don't know if that's true. My sense of, you know, reading people on the ground right now who are kind of involved in venture capital and entrepreneurship is that they, that they doubt that that will happen, that there's still, you know, massive incentives to move into the space and still, you know, lots of role models that people want to replicate and, and become like. But I do think there is a kind of a long-term concern that eventually the Chinese model, which is you know, as we've been talking about, heavily state-directed is not going to be all that successful in moving, you know, China into these uh, other areas that it, that it wants to go. That there's, you know, a huge amount of waste uh, involved and redundancy, uh, and that will slow the system down. You know, I, I just, I don't think we know yet. The other, the other alternative is that, you know, that as China focuses on what it's calling, you know, dual, dual circulation and uh, more domestic consumption and reducing dependence on foreign suppliers that the Chinese market uh, and Chinese tech companies themselves, you know, start buying more from local suppliers, from Chinese companies themselves, as opposed to uh, Western suppliers. And that really drives Chinese tech firms and creates another wave of innovation. So those, those seem to be the two alternatives is that the domestic system really kicks in and, and pushes China forward or it, it kind of stagnates under political pressure. I don't know which two of those is more likely right now. Right now, I think they, they're, they're both possible. In terms of if it was the second possibility of the domestic system really driving Chinese innovation and uh, along with um, the greater central control over uh, Chinese technology companies, it seems like it could lead to further uh, U.S.-China decoupling, particularly on the technology side. Could you talk a little bit about your views on this and how it relates to what China is doing in terms of centralizing control over the sector? Yeah, I mean, I think the decoupling trend is certainly likely to continue. You know, we you know, started off with kind of uh, telecommunications supply chain and Huawei in particular and 
and now is you know clearly moving into the data space first with TikTok, the social media app, and ByteDance, its Chinese owner, and now with Didi and others. But I think you know even if the Biden administration has a vision of of kind of where you know it would like to decouple and you know where it thinks it's okay to continue close uh, interdependence on the tech side with China, a lot of this now is being driven by by Xi and the Chinese side, which you know, seems to have a pretty expansive view that it is going to decouple on on a broad range of technologies and uh, lots of data that that um, touches on Chinese citizens' lives. And the areas where it, it's going to keep kind of those connections are areas where it thinks it has leverage. So given those dynamics, I don't see any guardrails right now. Uh, I think we kind of continue the process where both sides are, are pretty mistrustful of the other and look to reduce either the vulnerability or the, uh, of the access of the, of the other side. Thank you, Adam. And I know uh, we've taken up quite a bit of your time. So uh, I guess one final question. As you were talking about how China thinks about decoupling and how the Biden administration um, might have its own views about particular sectors to decouple or, or to think more about decoupling on what are your views on what the United States could do? Should we try to protect certain technologies and emphasize less reliance on China on certain technologies? Or do you think, as you mentioned, that much of this uh, moving forward will be driven by the Chinese side and the U.S. side will have not as much control over areas where we might want a little bit more connectivity with China. No, I, I think the U.S. You know, certainly there are, are technologies that the U.S. wants to ensure that it it has a, a fair degree of autonomy from China for. I think the you know as many people have have noted that. The challenge for the U.S. is is that the U.S. innovation system is driven by openness and the free flow of ideas and people and money. And how you keep that innovative system while protecting technologies from China is a difficult dance to do and, and kind of figuring out how open or closed is not easy and, and, and often can lead to overreactions. Certainly, we it seems to be the case, for example, with the China Initiative and the focusing on the talents program and uh, Chinese academic or Chinese-born academics in the United States or academics with ties to Chinese universities that there, uh, at least in the last couple of weeks and months, seems to be some oversteps from the FBI. And so that, I think, is a risk that the U.S. has that China doesn't have as much of, that the U.S. loses more from the loss of openness than the, than the Chinese innovation system does. So, you know, it's a very uh, important, which I think the Biden administration is trying to do in these first few months or first six months or first year is kind of both deciding which technologies it thinks are most critical and also which ones, uh, if they are affected, you know, by um, trying to decouple and can you make that up with partnering with other uh, countries or are there other ways of, of getting around it? So it's a long way of saying that there, I don't think we know what the technologies are yet. Some seem to be more open and conducive to collaboration than others. Uh, for example, you know, lots of uh, great work done by Paulson Institute and CSET at Georgetown that, you know, looks at the flow of people around artificial intelligence. Um, Chinese researchers in particular. So that um, makes me think that, you know, we have to be particularly careful about some of the controls in that space. Something like, you know, quantum or new energy may be 
you know, less dependent on, on collaboration and maybe easier to kind of uh, decouple and restrict. Thank you, Adam. Such a fascinating and complex topic. And we're really delighted that you were able to join us today. Thank you very much for all the great insights and how you impact such a complex topic into very easy to understandable different factors, as well as where possible highlighting areas where we really don't necessarily have know, know the answer right now and more research and more study might be needed. Uh, thanks for having me on. I enjoyed the conversation.